on this episode of Bootstrappers, we're going to speak with Marc De La Tour. We're going to talk to him about prospecting property management clients. And instead of going after our typical property owners, going after high net worth individuals. That's next on Bootstrappers. Welcome to Bootstrappers, a unique program designed to help make your business better. From property management to remote workers, Bootstrappers is here to help your business succeed. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. So let's lace up those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome to Bootstrappers, where we talk about topics that are important to real estate and property management entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Gwen Aspen, here with my spouse, Jeremy Aspen. We have a super fun episode today where we're going to talk about investing in real estate in ways that maximize your returns. We're going to talk to Mark De La Tour about how to make real estate a passive investment. Um, Mark is the CEO of SBD Housing in Kansas City and the author of the book, Mistake-Free Real Estate, A Passive Investor's Guide to Winning with Rentals and with the amazing podcast with the same name. Bootstrappers is powered by Anaquim and we help transform and skip. Jeremy, let me do, hey, I got to jump in right there. <laughs> let me do the advert for Anaquim because we're a huge believer in the company and I can do a better ad just by saying Guys, we have used Anaquim now for about seven or eight months, and they have totally streamlined our business, and our team is totally happy with them. So if you want to get more hands-off in your business, which is what we're going to talk about today, call Anaquim and get started. Oh, Damn, that's awesome. That, and that's right. You're, you're <laughs> Drop one, the mic. That's one of our AOS clients. So yeah, we've actually gone into your entire back office and yeah, yeah, pay attention to this guy. <laughs> Thanks for that, Mark. Appreciate it. Um so if you're a fan of the show, I mean, that he pretty much covered the Anaquim information. <laughs> if you're a fan of the show, share with your friends, like, and subscribe. At the end of the show, we will announce the book that we will be giving away this week. And to participate in the book giveaway, please give um, our YouTube, go to our YouTube channel and click the link in the description of this episode or visit us on Instagram at Bootstrapper Show and click the link in our bio. So I think sometimes property management companies focus on finding owners of existing rental properties, Jeremy, um, but they don't really pitch buying new properties to their existing clients or come up with their own deals so that they can manage big development projects. And I kind of want to, I'm excited about the show because we're going to talk about different strategies to get more doors. Yeah. If there's anybody that in any market that is closer to good deals than a property manager, then you're talking to a prince. Because I mean, there's just, we we always have deals coming by, especially the ones that are a little bit more fine-tuned for investment properties. So if you're not engaged in that or, or aware of what's going on in your surroundings as a property manager, you're missing out on huge opportunities. And that's where you really get the um, owners that are always singing your praises. If you can send them deals that are, that they're making good money on, they're going to tell all their friends and family about you because everybody's looking for good investment. Well, uh, yeah, so that's kind of where Mark comes yeah, in. Yeah, and it's the damnedest thing, especially right now. I don't know. We've been looking. We've been looking to place money for I don't know a couple of years now, and it's actually just very hard. We've been pretty opportunistic. You know, we also have this thing where when there is a good deal, we try to give it to our clients first on the Wistar side, but. It is. It's a harder. It's a harder market to be able to even place money, no matter where it is. So, if there's a nice system in place that can help you turn your money into more money, like what we're going to talk about today, I do it. So, this sounds like a good time to introduce Mark De La Tour to everybody. Hi, Mark. How are you? 
Hi, Gwen, Jeremy. I'm doing great. Sorry to interrupt your intro there, too, by the way, Jeremy. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, right. Well, yeah, I'm a huge fan. It was really hard. So, it was really, yeah, really tough on yeah. us. I'm swallowing we'll it, my pride, not yelling. We'll make it through. Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, you've written a book about mistakes in the real estate industry that people make. And you also kind of have a, a term that you've coined, the full turn, the full uh, turnkey rental homes which is what you discuss in your book. Can you tell us more about that philosophy of purchasing real estate and how it's worked for you? Sure, if I may. It kind of dates back even to um, the GFC, the global financial crisis in 2008. You know, I was just a solo real estate investor from 2001 all the way through 2008. And when the market tanked, as you know, the banks dried up and um, it was much more challenging to get capital. And so uh, I wanted to obviously continue because I saw, oh my gosh, this is an amazing opportunity now that all real estate is on sale. Um, in 2009, 10, 11, um, real estate was, had this massive you know, sales sticker on it. And um, unfortunately, the difference between Walmart having a sale, when Walmart has a sale 50% off, everyone goes running. When real estate's got a sale and it's 50% off, everyone's like, oh my gosh, I would never touch real estate, which I don't understand. But I was confident enough in my abilities to go crush that time period. And the way I got through it, not being able to buy it all myself, was I just started investing other people's money. And so that's when, and I didn't even know I was doing full turnkey real estate at the time, but that's effectively what my company turned into. And so around that time period, we started um, looking further afield. So we started working with international investors from Australia, New Zealand, and the UK, and Hong Kong, and Brazil, and China. And we started uh, setting up an operation for them that would set them with a local LLC, a local bank account. They would fund that bank account. They would give us as the property manager, you know, limited financial capacity to deploy their funds for them. And we just started picking off as many deals as we could. Our niche was always on the courthouse steps. So we were kind of just buying distressed. We had the remodel company that would then remodel it. And then we had the property management piece, uh, which I actually outsourced. Um, you know, I believe that property management is a business that until you get to about 300 doors, it doesn't make any sense uh, profitability-wise. It's just a drain on your time and, and, uh, and resources. So I outsourced it um, and told the guy, hey, look, when it gets to three or 400 doors, I'll probably pull it back. And it, once we got to, I think, 350 doors um, about five years ago, we pulled that back in-house. Now we're up to around 600 doors. Um, under management. But um, yeah, the idea of full turnkey real estate is simply working with a high income, high net worth individual that loves the idea of investing in real estate, but just doesn't have the time and doesn't have the knowledge of how to do so. And so we eliminate all of those headaches and hassles by just saying, hey, if you invest with our firm, we'll sell you a brand new remodeled home. It's already got the tenant in place and we'll handle the management from here on out. And it just delivers a steady stream of cash flow. And it's a closed group. I mean, you don't have third-party management for anybody that's outside of the ownership that you, you, that you actually have uh, uh, investment relationships with, right? Correct. Yeah, we just only uh, manage the properties that we have personally acquired and remodeled. And that's been a strategic choice, Jeremy. We found that, and, and it was one born out of a, a bad decision. We did try that one time. And what we found was... Um, when an owner either wasn't willing to uh, remodel it to the same high standards that we do, or they mm. didn't have their, um, you know, it was in an area that we wouldn't necessarily go to, or it was just, you know, th their mindset didn't line up. But when we could effectively, con I'm a control guy, Jeremy, I like control. Um, so when we could control the mindset or control 
and work with like-minded people, then we really control the entire operation. And when we told people, hey, you know, if you don't like a high quality home, if you don't want to invest in really nice areas, if you if those things are not of value to you, then we're probably not the right choice for you. Um, you kind of script them out on the front end. And so we've chosen to only work with those um, investors that have bought properties from our institution that, that then we manage on the back end. Which makes all the, sorry, but, uh, which makes all the sense in the world. We, have, uh, we do do third-party management for other investors outside of an investment group, except the rule that we have is that they have to meet certain standards or they have to be willing to let us get the home up to certain standards. But when they don't, the friction that is caused, it really is just ruinous to a company because you might have a great portfolio and then one of them is in just a really bad part of town where you don't want to operate at all. And then you have a hard time finding a property manager that's willing to go there, much less do anything for any length of time. And then you get an owner that's mad and they might have other properties. I mean, it's just like a, a domino effect. So is your model then to buy low and then sell high? <laughs> is that how you guys go about it? Shocker. Is that a way to make is money? That, I, 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 I I'm just, yeah, because I've seen so many do it the other way. <laughs> but, but it is very hard to find good deals right now. Do you have any right. words of wisdom for finding the deals in this real estate environment? Well, in fairness, we spend about $50,000 a month in advertising marketing. So there's your first um, barrier to entry, right? I mean, we do television, billboard, um, radio, PPC, SEO, direct-to-seller postcards, flyers, mailers, yard signs. I mean, so you have to canvas um, the, the and then have the onboarding and inbound lead management in the process to make sure that you capture all of those leads. I mean, that's the, I guess, the genius in our model. Um mm. And one that we have borrowed from number of people is if you're committed to going and finding off-market deals, then you better make sure that you have really good salespeople that are in the living room talking to the people saying, hey, I understand your house is ugly, but we love it. Um, you know, we can offer you 60000 for it, right? It's like, no, 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 I want eighty, And then you have to confidently explain to them why we can only offer them 60000 for that house. Um, but yeah, we, we do a pretty good job of it. We're buying somewhere in the neighborhood of around 20 houses a month. And, um, you know, we're... we're slowly trying to pick up momentum to, to build that. Wow. So you're buying 20 houses a month and then rehabbing all of them. I mean, you're just, yeah. So we're a little unusual. Of- so we don't, um, wholesale, uh, we, we bought everything we buy, we take down, we rehab. So yeah, we're currently rehabbing, uh, this year we'll do around 300 houses, um, this year and in, in about crazy. five different cities. Wow. Which other, so you're in Kansas city and what other cities are you in? Yeah, so we're currently in Missouri, Kansas. We're in Iowa, Illinois, and in Alabama. And we're looking to come up and, and join you guys up there in Omaha um, later. And I think that's a Q4 rollout for 2021. A lot of people do that for the weather, usually. <laughs> oh, my, I know. <laughs> I wish properties cash flowed nicely in California and Florida. It's just, right? You know. It doesn't work that way. No. It doesn't work that way. No, we've been coaching people into investing now, um, you know, like I say, for the better part of a decade since 2008. So we're 12 years in and, um, you know, I've looked far and wide, um, but the Midwest is just the absolute best place. Just cheap land, um, leads to cheap housing and mm-hmm. the rents are actually very, very strong. And so once you have a, a strong rent with a, a good household base and good population base, we've found that these are the best possible cash flowing properties, um, in the world. I mean, literally I have investors from all over the world that are still throwing money at assets in the United States because, you know, if you come from New Zealand, um, you know, you're the average purchase price of a home 
is over a million dollars now. Mm. And so when people, you know, their average uh, wage is still somewhere around 60 or 70,000. So it's a drastic, uh, uh, it's so drastically um, that gap is widening and uh, it's extremely challenging for first time home buyers to get in, let alone to um, allow capital investment for, you know, real estate investors. And they don't have COVID anymore. So that is a glowing uh, feather in their cat. Oh yeah. my God. That is, isn't it? Yeah. I saw a video where they're like at concerts and it's crazy. So when you're talking to investors, you said they have to be on board with rehabbing the houses to your standards. What other rules do you have for them if they want to invest with you? And what is your uh, bank account number so that I can send you some? No, money? but just I mean, what are some basic things like you can't bug me every month? Or- yeah, no, that's so. So, how do you say that nicely, right? So that's essentially it. I mean, if it comes down to it, it's like, hey, if you do you value, you know, if you go to the mechanic, are you going to stand there looking over his shoulder, saying, you know, asking him how he's changing your oil in the car? Amen. That's right. Yeah. So if you're not, and, and are you going to stand over your lawyer's shoulder and he's drafting documents for you when you're? you know, an insurance sales guy wanting a new sales contract. No, you, do you respect a professional? And so if you respect my ability to locate assets and let's talk about that. So let's talk about how we find our assets, you know, how we're spending money to locate the best deals. Talk, let's talk about how we remodel to the highest of standards. Gwen, even in our two bedroom, one bath rentals, we're putting in granite and LVP flooring because we've found over time, again, this is all the mistakes I've made. So others don't have to, that it is easier to just go wipe down a hard surface than to tear out carpet and put in all new carpet. So we've made all the mistakes and we're now coaching people so they don't have to make those same mistakes. So really the onboarding process is such that we're really just saying, hey, here's what I do. Does that resonate with you? Do you want to own quality rentals in really good parts of town? Because we don't buy in the hood. We don't buy in bad zip codes where you have to go worry about knocking on a door. Um, If that does resonate with you and you want to buy, if you're a buy and hold investor, I explain to people that I'm in the crockpot business, not the microwave business. Mm. We're in the business of getting wealthy slowly over time, not getting rich quick. So for those that are looking at you know, buying and holding indefinitely, um, if people ask me, well, what if I want to sell the property in five years? Oh, hey, you're probably not you know, the best investor for us. Why is that? Well, we believe that real estate is best bought and never sold. If you're looking for an exit strategy, it's die. Right, because then right. you can pass through, it on. through step up basis, you can pass it down to your heirs, and it's life changing financial prosperity. I don't want you to. I, I don't want to go through the whole hardship of bringing this up, this beautiful remodel, up to the highest of standards, to then give it to you, and you're going to turn around, and flip it in, in the future. Like, why don't you just leave it? Because now we've got a bulletproof rental that's going to cash flow for a long, long period of time. Let's plan on a strategy that will leave that to your heirs, so that we can you know, benefit not just you in this lifetime with cash flow, but also them in their lifetime as well. So you're only looking at working with buy and hold real estate investors. Yeah. So we, so we do, I mean, obviously houses from 200 to 600,000, you know, we have a flipping arm of the business as well, but everything under 200,000 is buy and hold and we don't sell. So what's your target for return on cash or return on investment? However you guys measure. Actually, that's very, actually I was just, uh, I don't know if you want me to show this or not, but there's our numbers right there. So it's seven fourteen three hundred. Okay, cash on so seven percent cap cap rate, fourteen percent cash on cash, and monthly cash flow of three hundred bucks. So this was I was actually just look, looking at that earlier. I was recording a video on it, but yeah, we have a seven fourteen three hundred. So we tell our investors we want to give them minimum of seven cap, 
14% cash on cash, $300 a month of passive income. Because what we're coaching people, Gwen, we, so that's actually another, brings up another point. When you ask, what do we coach them? We say, hey, listen, what you're buying is a commodity, okay? You're buying an ATM machine. It's just a box that money comes out of. You're, I don't care if it's a two-bedroom, a three-bedroom. If they're asking, well, what color are you using or what style? Uh-huh. Or, hey, you're missing the yeah, point. Totally <laughs> missing just, the point. Yeah, that's- this is a box that money comes out of. Now, like an ATM machine, it has to be primed at the pump. It has the mechanics have to work well. And you also have to make sure that the cash is always coming in every month, right? So that's the role of the property management company is to maintain the ATM machine. But actually constructing an machine, ATM machine and buying it, you're just buying a box that money comes out of. So we're trying to make them think of it as just like the stock market. You buy as, as easy as you're going to buy some Google stock. You, we send you an email, you say yes, and we handle everything else from there. So it is kind of a brilliant methodology because with a lot of the owners that come in who purchase the properties themselves, rehab them themselves, they're way too personally invested in the, in the investment to their own detriment and the efficiencies of the property management company. So basically you're setting the stage for them to not bug you and only working with people who are of the same mindset, which I think is just brilliant. Which I would suspect about 30% of the energies that a property manager deploys any over the course of any month goes into trying to talk to owners about what they shouldn't be doing or what they should be doing. Whereas if you can take that out and gain those efficiencies, that property management company has so much, uh, so so much higher likelihood of success that uh, I think you become, you know, you go into the twenty percent range of uh, profitability or something like that. So, In our industry, it'd be good. So, what are the touch points with the investors? How often do you talk to them with your model? So again, in the CEO role now, after I have, you know. Our onboarding experience is very thorough. A lot of videos that are used, a lot of video digital content creation. So they um, have they've read my book before they get to talk to me. Um, that's a that's a big thing because basically then you know they've read that the two big killers of cash flow are vacancy and maintenance. I mean they understand the importance of PM. They understand who I am and what I do. So I'm not just onboarding people and having them waste an hour or two hours of my time with a phone call. It's like read my book, go to the website watch my video content, talk to my property, lead property manager and my investor concierge. And then after we have screened you out, then you get to talk to Mark for a 30 minute call. And then, you know, at that point it's, you know, kind of slam dunk. So wait, now I've talked to you for a total of over an hour now, although in podcasts, and I still haven't had that uh, request for my money. When do you start asking me for my money, for God's sakes? It's got- well, is that even a problem or people are looking for places to find, to place their money that it's more that so many people are talking to? Or do you have to really go and find those investors? Where is it right now? Yeah, so we have by far uh, more uh we are struggling with deal flow. I mean, we're doing you know 250 houses in a year and we're struggling with deal flow, right? I mean, if I had 600 homes tomorrow, I could literally sell them all because we have so much investor cash just waiting on the sidelines. Um, so that is our biggest challenge. And, and quite frankly, why we are expanding now um, into these other markets is because A, and we can talk about it later, but I'm truly CEOing. So I get to actually think the, the role of the CEO is to think. And I, you know, when you're a, an owner operator, you don't get much time to think because you're always doing. Mm-hmm. I like to say it's easier to do than to think. 
and it's much harder to sit and think. And so when I'm allowed to think and grow, um, our company is, is rewarded with that. But no, uh, the answer, uh, to go back to your original question, Gwen, how much do our owners contact the office? Because it's not just me because I'm really not involved on the PM side anymore. Um, Mike, who's our investor concierge um, you know, and our lead PM, he probably talks to one owner a week on maybe 30 minutes. I mean, we get almost zero phone calls from, you know, we never get like the mad angry uh, owner. That just doesn't happen. Um, so yeah, if you were saying, Jeremy, I wouldn't know because I don't have much interaction with other property management companies. Um, but if you're saying it's 30% of the time, ours might be 5% of the time. So, and we, we work at well over 20% margins on our PM business. Right. So is That'd your communication easy. mostly like a quarterly report? They get monthly reports. Um, and, you know, as long as the cash is hitting their bank, I mean, you know, what more do they need to know? I mean, it's, it's just one investment. I mean, you don't call your financial advisor. Right. You just have an annual meeting with your, we're just, I say we're a real estate financial advisory firm, right? So you don't call your financial advisor every month and ask him, Hey, what's the stock market doing? I mean, right. You know, you don't, I use that don't need one. to know what, right. So, so let's just call it what it is. We're a real estate financial advisor. Don't worry. We're handling everything. You know, you don't need to know if your tenant's moving in or moving out. You don't know if you need to know if the hot water tank just blew up. We're, we're handling everything. Like this whole, like, I heard on one of your calls um, that you were talking about, like, should I call them at $250 or $450? Right. Or do I call them at, or an owner wants to get caught every single time? If they're asking those kind of questions, Grant, that, that is not the investor for us. We're the experts. If it's broken, we're going to fix it. If it's not broken, we're not going to fix it. I treat, I, we, we say we're very owner centric. You know, we don't. Uh, do things that are that are not warranted. We we, you know, tenants are like children. You they need to be told no. So you know, when it when it's the right time to tell them no, we tell them no. But the asset needs to be preserved. It's an ATM machine. We need to keep it lubed and the oil and mechanics running smoothly. So if the refrigerator is broken, we're going to fix it. If the air, hot water tank is broken, we're going to fix it. If it's freezing outside and there's no heat, we're going to address that emergently. You know, what I mean, but. The owner doesn't need to know about that. And I also believe that if you have an owner that's trying to tell you what to do and they get that veto power, it essentially means it, 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 what you're peacock feathering is that your advice wasn't best practice. And so you're, you're diminishing your, your own value by taking on maybe a, what should be a substandard request from an owner. You've got to have the confidence to be able to make recommendations and stick to them, even amongst, even in the face of pushback from an investment, an investor owner. Do you guys escrow the cash then for them? I'm looking at the numbers, the 714, uh, 300. It looks like there's some sort of leverage, maybe in the 2080 range, and and the 300 dollars. You must be putting some cash aside for repairs, and are you doing it for uh, long term? Uh, what do you call it? Uh, capital we don't escrow any of their uh repairs and maintenance so it's just handled with their cash flow from the units um ours is extremely low i mean our, because we go in on the front end it's it's as close to new construction um right. as you can get when it's a, when they're just buying an elderly home um most of our homes are 1950s to, to 2000s but um you know they've been pulled up to like a 2020 standard so um, we try and, you know, really address everything up front. I mean, only windows, siding, HVAC, roofs, because when you're buying houses at 65 cents on the dollar, you can put 30 grand into them and kind of redo everything. So now you've got a highly performing asset or highly performing ATM machine that won't need to be broke. It won't be breaking down all the time. Mm -hmm. 
Are there any absolute no's that you won't buy a house that has, say, a retaining wall or something like that? Do you ever have any just hard, fast no? So, Jeremy, write down these three, three, these three letters, I, J, M. It's just math. We're always, it's just math. We're, if it, if it pencils, a pencil. So no, there's no hard nose. Um, if it, I'll buy one bedroom, if we can rent it out for enough. Um, we don't typically do that, obviously, but I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's just math. If, if you can get enough, um, you know, in the same way, I don't want my investors to talk about, is it a two bedroom or three bedroom or four bedroom? You know, the way, because we're selling these ATM machines, effectively, you're selling them on a cap rate. So we don't care what the sales price of the home is going to be on the back end. We care how much cash is this delivering in our investor's pocket because that will determine how valuable that asset is and what we sell it for. All right. Well, I just love this conversation because I think what a lot of property managers need to do is once they've been in the industry for a while, they know their stuff, they kind of have to level up and have confidence to decide what they are willing to put up with and they're not willing to put up with and then just go for it. Don't you think, Jeremy, that that is a limiting factor for a lot of property managers? It's just not having the confidence to say, I don't want to work with you because you're going to call me all the time or the relationship's not going to be It might not even be that they don't have the confidence. I don't know that they necessarily have heard of that, that strategy. Because if you've come up in, through, in this industry, then one of the things that you do, as a matter of fact, it's on the job description, is talk to owners. And so if you're talking to owners and that's on the job description, then you have to have an answer for them. <laughs> Whereas, and I don't think, I don't want to say sophistication, what's the word I want to say? Um, the industry has taken on kind of a, an unsophisticated sort of reporting. It doesn't act, it doesn't even have the confidence to, to, to comport itself as if it's an investment, um, company. It, they treat themselves like a blue collar management company. I don't think I'm going to get in any trouble <clears throat> here. I hope. Well, but like for instance, um, are, I'm assuming now that you are an EOS company traction that like you correct. You must, so you can pick up on some of those things. Like I know that there are not enough people in our industry that know what EOS is or what traction is. Our listeners probably do, but um, it's important to have and it's that a, kind of it's, For anyone who's not aware, it's a meeting. It's a book that helps you plan ahead, forecast, and create projects that will move your business forward in a way that holds people accountable mm-hmm. and helps you be visionary. It's a lifestyle, right? I mean, it's, it's a, a way lifestyle. to run your business. You know, you have to commit to having weekly meetings, monthly meetings, setting rocks, setting to-dos. But if you don't live into it, it's kind of worthless. But once you commit to the EOS lifestyle, you know, it is. It's just the way that you you talk about rocks and to-dos and, you know, 90-day sprints. And, you know, it's just a way of, of running a business. Here, so Thank I totally so agree that one. EOS is a lifestyle. I mean, it's transformed our businesses. I would also say being process and procedure driven is another lifestyle business choice. Um, but I just want to go back to the confidence of truly treating the owners of the buildings as investors. Um, And I think that the more that property management companies kind of treat their investors like Mark is talking about, it's going to elevate the the industry as a whole. So um, I feel like the full turnkey model is such that, um, you know, that's the hardest piece. You know, when you're talking about full turnkey investments and driving more investments to the, the, to your investors, 
Um, there are, there's four huge components. And if I know that you've got a podcast audience, I'll keep talking. But for those watching on YouTube, let me share the screen real quick and kind of talk through it. So this is what we call our investor cycle. It's obviously four phases, right? You've got to buy a property, remodel it, get it rented out, and then sell it to your investor. But the whole key here, the biggest thing that stops people from full turnkey investing, there's a lot of people that just buy and sell, buy and sell, buy mm -hmm. and sell. Um, but the property management piece, this gray sector down here is what stops people from um, selling full turnkey. But if you just locate a quality asset, remodel it to a high standard, and that doesn't need to be, you know, you can, anyone can, you can make C class, B class, or A class assets uh, cash flow. You've just got to choose which one you want to go to. We just have chosen to be the A class asset people. But once you remodel it to that standard and then you've got it dialed in, you've already got it rented out, you'll be able to sell that thing. So, you know, if you just, if, if your client listening clientele would focus on partnering, and again, I'm a huge believer in collaboration versus competition. So you've got to collaborate and form partnerships to succeed, which first of all is why I love the Anaquin model, because we just partner with you guys who are getting really good at rate manager. You're great at dialing in process. But if you just partner with a remodel company that would be able to bring it to your certain standard, or maybe you already have those relationships to put in some granite, some LVP flooring, and then you've got and paint it. That's about all you, you might need to do. Then you go find good assets. You've probably got tons of real estate agents out there that can find them for you, get it remodeled, get it rented out, and then you're going to sell these assets to an investor on the back end. I just think it's, you know, so many people are thinking one-dimensionally. They're thinking, I have to go and, like, you know, find an investor who's either doing it himself and then take those, you know, alleviate the burden. You know what? You're alleviating the burden, but you're putting it on yourself because that guy's still going to be hands-on. He's still going to be a pain. That's the worst kind of investor ever. I so think, you want I to think go find the... You want to go find the guy that's saying, hey, I've got you know $500,000. Should I put it in the stock market or should I put it in real estate? That's the guy. And then you solve his problem, which is you're trying to deploy capital and getting a decent return because right now a six or a seven cap is pretty darn good. Absolutely. And I think that you just hit the nail on the head of where property managers are going wrong. They're looking for the wrong prospect. They are looking for current property uh, owners who want to rent out their property that they already are invested in. They've already put their uh, blood, sweat, and tears in where they should just be finding high net worth individuals who want to invest in something that will create a profit. Yeah. The pool right now, I think, is that sweat equity buyer. I won't even say investor because what they end up doing is they end up buying properties and they end up being willing to work really hard to help make sure that that asset cash flows. And so what they're not taking into account is any sort of property management fee or you know, paying themselves. And so when they do turn it over to a property management company, the property management company uh, has to essentially replace what was originally taken care of by a sweat equity investor. And there's no cash flow for it. Like they've, they've, it, 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 it's just not a very good model. And if you've got an investor or a, a, a client who is helping you out, like giving you information, they're subsidizing your property management company. So that probably means that you have the wrong people in those seats. You need to get people that know better than the investors when they come on board so that they can confidently say, Mr. Client, I appreciate everything you're saying. Please don't call me again in a little bit nicer way, right? So if someone were wanting to flip the switch on how they acquire investors and kind of take on this model for their own property management company, 
What advice would you have for someone just getting started in this? Yeah, <laughs> that's part of it. It's just math. No, I think it's just, I found that clarity is polarizing. The more clear you are on who you are and what you want to become, it equally attracts those that will be of like mind and it repels those that will be of, you know, con of conflict. So just be clear with what you're trying to do. Like have a plan. Don't just accidentally go through life, you know, hoping that people will bring you properties, have a plan of action and go about it. Um, so if that means that you're going to attack this, we'll be committed to it. Don't just do it half-heartedly. And so if you truly want to go down that road, then I would say, get those um, investors on board, tell them what you're going to do, have some investors that might want to um, go down this journey with you. Just be transparent. Tell them, hey, you know, I've got this new concept. I'm just going to go and try and really attack this marketplace. How about if I buy something, I'll rehab it and I'll rent it out and I'll get exactly what you're looking for in the right areas. And then just go target and find exactly what an investor is looking for. You get one or two, proof concept, and then you can roll it out big. But it starts with just clarity um, of purpose. And I think once you know who you are and what you want to become, the risk kind of falls into place. So are you involved with entrepreneurs organization or any kind of business groups that you would suggest uh, some property managers should tap into? I'm a huge believer in masterminds. Um, so I've been a part of the Collective Genius Mastermind now for five years. Um, part of the Kahuna Cashflow, which is kind of a multifamily unit um, mastermind group in Arizona. And then um, part of the Freedom Founders Mastermind Group, which is a bunch of high income, high net worth dentists and doctors and lawyers and accountants that are looking to kind of, uh, you know, invest dollars. Um, and we're a trusted advisor in that group that we help them park their dollars into real estate. So I'm a big believer in, in masterminding. Um, I find that networking uh, by its own stretch of like, you know, local meetups or local real estate groups or landlord communities, it's just such small thinking that it just for me personally, it, it didn't allow me to grow. Once you reach a certain point, you have to just think bigger. And mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, when you're doing 300 houses a year, I don't really see much value in going to talking to someone who's looking to do their first house. Um, you know, just different problems, right? They're facing different problems than we are. Um, you know, I'm trying to figure out how you remodel 300 houses in a year and they're finally trying to figure out how to find a contractor that can do the first one. So just, you know, each person is in their own different spot. Um, but yes, whatever that looks like, um, you know, I think the bigger, just think bigger. Um, masterminds are great. There are certainly lots of uh, investment groups out there that can lead you in the right direction um, for those that are starting out. Even Facebook groups online, there are some pretty strong yeah, property management groups online. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, not operating from that scarcity mindset seems to be the difference between those smaller, uh, maybe landlord groups and uh, uh, larger companies. They, you know, everyone's always afraid of the downside. And, and if you're really working hard to protect your downside, then you have a really hard time being able to take advantage of any upside, right? And that's where your energy should be going. And to a large extent, it really is just, it's just a, it really is just a mindset. You know, you can do it. I mean, provided you can do it and you make sure that you're going after what you want, not protecting what you have. And that really, I've seen that in a lot of companies that are successful, that seems to be a pretty common thing. Well, I think it starts what we, we hit on it a little bit earlier in the show, but you said your job as CEO is to think. And so going from that owner operator mindset to, hey, my goal is to be a true CEO 
in three or five years. And so can you just elaborate on what you think a CEO's true job is so that people can kind of visualize what they should shoot for? Sure, I'd be happy to. And remember, 20 years in, and I think I've only been CEOing for about two years. So um, it's definitely a journey. Um, the first thing um, that you should do is read the book Rocket Fuel, which is part of the EOS um, traction portfolio, because it talks about the two different roles between the CEO and the COO. Um, you know, I really gained, I tried to do it for a long time, but didn't have the right person in that seat and finally gained traction, if you excuse the pun, when I hired um, my second in command, Chris Johns. And Chris and I um, have really gained a ton of momentum since he's been in the, the position for, for two years. And it's really, as a visionary, an operator, um, an entrepreneur, it's just that grit, determination, the, the can do. And you think that if I've got to get it done and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And you're kind of pushing it your way through life. Just, just, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. It's a little engine that could. But then you get to a point realizing that you can't get to the next level. And you either have to adapt and advance or you will be crippled in that position for a long, long time. And so, you know, once I realized that, I read enough books to know that I couldn't get it to the next level on my own. I hired and had a really good number two. Chris came in and overlaid a whole bunch of processes and systems and procedures and an air of accountability in the organization that really improved our culture. Our culture is super strong right now, uh, very little turnover, great growth explosive growth, to be honest. And so that's really been a big benefit. The true role of once you get to that seat of CEO, and you, there's only three things you do. It's vision and call that culture, but we're creating a clear vision for the company. People, getting the right people in the seats, always hire talent. Um, 2019 was a huge mantra for us, which is hire talent, hire talent, hire talent. And that's one of the mistakes that I made early on was not hiring talent. I'll get to that in a minute. So anyway, vision, people. And the last one is just having cash and finances lined up to, to be able to handle the growth that your company is going through. But one of the biggest mistakes that I made early on was just trying to put a budget constraint on the person I was looking to hire. And then you go and try and find someone that's a $40,000 a year employee or $50,000 a year employee and just trying to grow and, and teach them how to do it my way and this and that. It is absolute painstaking torture to do that. What I've done now is really gone and just tried to find the most talented person in that position. And it's probably a little outside my comfort zone. And once it's outside my comfort zone, as far as the pay scale, I know that I've got the right person because they will deliver the talent. They will deliver on the back end and just 10 X, you know, any kind of growth that I thought was happening. So a little anecdote, um, when I was, uh, working in the supply chain industry, we had you know an average import export agent, I think with the time was making about $40,000 a year. Um, and then I had interviewed somebody for a position that was open and he was just adamant. He goes, I'm, I'm 80,000 a year. <clears throat> I was like, well, what do you, there's no way like that's just so outside the scope. He goes, I know, but the number's a hundred bills. Your guys are doing a hundred bills. I will do 300 bills. I am, I am 33% less expensive than anybody else that you're going to find. And I thought, okay. So I gave him a chance. I hired him and sure enough. He always did about that 300 uh, number and was way less expensive. Plus, you get to have somebody that is confident, they're making a good living, and it's just way more fun to work with those kind of people. And I would just say, if you're really CEO- Yeah, it's not rocket science. It goes- Oh, I was just going to say, if you're Sorry, really yeah, CEO- it goes all the way back to like Henry Ford Green, where 
where Henry Ford back in the day, they were paying $1.60, right, per wage. Henry Ford comes in and says, I'm going to pay everyone $5 an hour, which is almost three times this, the wage. And he got quality people that delivered on time and on budget and really started the whole, you know, 40 hour work week to working, you know, eight to five. Yeah. And back to your point about CEOing, if you have a clear vision and you have the time to set that clear vision for your company, then you can hire these great people and you know you'll deliver. You can have that confidence. Yeah, start your Monday telling yourself you're going to see the e- you're going to CEO the shit out of this place and make it happen. It's so much more <laughs> fun, right? Gosh. So so The challenge now honestly is boredom, right? You have a little bit of boredom which sits in when you realize that the place can run without you and you're like, you know, struggling to actually get to where um, you're delivering value anymore. So it's just working on bigger relationships, partnerships, and, and syncing up um, different things. So and having you know, the I'm discipline excited to, keep, to work on some build to rent opportunities now. Yeah. yeah. Have, having that discipline to put something else on your plate. Which doesn't always happen in our positions. I've, you know, had some friends that have gone through some phases of their life where they didn't add more to their plate and they let things kind of get away. Uh, but I'll say that that's the problem you want to have, and that's the that's what you can accomplish by having these sorts of more sophisticated processes that Mark's bringing up. Well. This has been such an awesome discussion. I'm so grateful to have you on the show, Mark. Um, um, and we want to give away Mark's book. I want to I ask him his biggest boneheaded. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I forgot what, that What's one. your biggest boneheaded move you've ever made in business? So I think that would have to be um, ownership, right? So I started in 2001 and uh, quickly had some success on the courthouse steps, was buying a lot. Um and was approached by two other guys that said, hey, we'd love to bankroll your operation. You know, let's really blow this thing up. And I said, oh, great. So again, young, dumb, didn't understand. Um, and so we were just a th- three guys, you know, third, a third, a third. Oh. And so um, at the height of the market, you suddenly realize that, um, you know, they can dr- drastically alter the way, the course mm. of your future. The minority squeeze. Having a hostile takeover. Mm-hmm. You got it. So... Been there, done that. It was a very painful business divorce. Millionaire by the time I was 30. And then not bankrupt, but never had to do that. But absolutely lost everything um, by the time I was 31 and then built it all back up again. So it's been a painful one. But uh, I think that's what, you know, gives me the confidence to move forward, knowing who I am, what I want to become. You know, when you reach rock bottom, it's a chance to gain clarity because you're building from a rock at that point. Um, a firm foundation. So, um, yeah, I've, I've had some bumps and scrapes along the way for sure. But at the end of it, um, I'm just a real estate guy who knows how to find a deal and, and, uh, I can sell that to some people. So just a quick question. How long did it take you to realize that that relationship wasn't going to work? Gwen, I walked into a room, um, quite confident that it was going to be a regularly calling meetup and that there were two other guys in suits in that meeting, um, oh. that I did not recognize. Damn. And they were the attorneys. And so, uh, yeah, I was host- it was a hostile takeover. Oh. And probably worthy of a, a deeper dive at a later time. But oh, man. Um, yeah, do you I like, was blindsided do you, and had no idea that we were going down that road. Do you take a little bit of, uh, I don't know, not pride, but enjoyment, enjoyment, kind of knowing that where you are right now might be a little bit better positioned than they had confidence that you could be? And I mean, right? I mean, you must feel... Pretty good looking back. For at that sure. Day. No, there's uh, 
Yeah, no doubt. A bit, I've forgiven them a long time ago, yeah. not for them, um, but just for myself and my own belief. Um, you know, God is, is, has, been, has blessed me and my family, and, and we're lucky to be where we are. And, and I think that was his way of you know, exiting a partnership that I probably was too naive to realize that it wasn't going to work out in the long run, and, and everything's worked out just the way it's meant to be. So I'm, I'm very blessed. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That... Are, are, are we giving away his book? Yes, okay, we're giving good. away his book. <laughs> Which, so, by the way, I'm buying one also. I have this rule that if I ever meet anybody or know anybody that's written a book, I buy a copy just because I, I mean, that's but I'm a, excited to read this book and it's yellow. I mean, yeah. We, <laughs> I want, I want to be an author someday. So I just like to support it in any little way because it's so cool. It is. It is a very big undertaking. So Dude. to participate in the book giveaway, go to our YouTube channel and click on the link in the description of this episode or visit our Instagram at Bootstrapper Show and click the link in the bio. And today's book is Mistake-Free Real Estate by Mark De La Tour. And so that's a wrap. We'll see you next week at the Bootstrapper hey, Show. Thanks thanks a bunch Mark De La Tour. Yes, thank you. Thanks for being on the show. This has been Bootstrappers, a unique presentation designed to help you better understand how the world turns. Contact Gwen or Jeremy at posts at bootstrappers.club or visit our website, anaquim.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and our YouTube channel. Thank you and join us next time for Bootstrappers.